When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, uh, joined today by friend of the show, friend of, of, you know what, the NBA community at large, legitimately one of the nicest people in it, um, Howard Beck of GQ, of the Locked On Podcast Network, um, is joining us today. How are you doing? You, 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 we're, we're like right on the precipice of this season being over. I, in my opinion, about three games away from this season being <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> pretty pretty <laughs> bold there, Anthony. Pretty bold. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of overreaction theater, which is basically every day of the NBA season. And so overreaction Twitter. theater today, of course, we yeah, have just Twitter. It's every, but it's everything also. It's yeah. so like, oh my god, the how could the Heat possibly ever win another game? They may not score another point. The Nuggets are going to win yeah. the rest of the series. They're not even they're not even going to sweep them in four. They're going to sweep them in three, and the final score will be five thousand points to zero over the last two games of this. Um, mm-hmm. three no, games. that'll be the free throw disparity, but. Um... <laughs> um i mean look uh these are two teams that we have uh consistently sold short in one respect or another so the idea that the heat couldn't um come back win a game somewhere along the way here uh like i you know the nuggets were the the, i think the legit favorites going in for a bunch of reasons um and yes at some point i think the heat's uh kind of like you know good fortune magic grit all of it was going to run out and and like this is this is when it should run out probably um i'm not ready to write them off after one game though because i don't really do overreaction theater well in fairness i didn't think this was a competitive series coming into it um so like i'm i guess it's an overreaction confirmation bias right like it's it's um because i i i just um Everything you say and everything like Adam, I had Adam on the show yesterday, Adam Mattis on the show yesterday. Um, and I asked him to like convince me, give me any basketball reason why this would be a competitive series. And it just kept on coming back to heat culture, heat culture, heat culture. And it's just like, yeah, but Denver has a lot of the culture stuff too. They've all been that core of Malone and Jokic and Murray and even MPJ has been around each other for a while now and through all kinds of adversity. So they have some of that stuff to lean on too. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I just, I, I'd love to be wrong. Uh, I think, I think this like wild a postseason deserves an insane final series. I just, I just think Denver is so much more talented and it's such a bad matchup that for, for Miami that, that yeah. I, I just don't see it. You don't think that Tyler Hero's return in game two is going to uh, change the entire 
uh, trajectory of the universe? You know, I'm a fan of Hero Ball, but I don't I don't think that's saving saving him here. Um, right. I, I just it's it's tough because he went down and Miami immediately found something. <laughs> so so like well, his listen, right. is going to like turn things back around. Uh, I, mean, we, I don't know how far down the finals rabbit hole we want to go, but like, I will just say my, go my, 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 um, contrarian theory about Tyler hero's return with everybody saying, you know, maybe part of what their success has been is that, you know, that they've had to rely on their defense more. And then, you know, he's not a defender and he's maybe a minus on that end and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, sure. Fine. But the counterpoint to that would be one, they have so little offense, so little yeah. shot creation. They have so there's just so many limitations on them that no matter you can play your butt off, you can heat culture everybody to, to the end of time, but you still have to find a way to score. And um, that gets tougher and tougher. And especially the more like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler was like invisible in game one. And exhausted. listen, Jimmy's a badass. He could come back and, and put up like, you know, 40, 15, and eight or something in game two for all we know. But I do think like there is a cumulative effect of, you know, just this, just this attrition of, of series after series, game after game of having to have so much reliant on one guy. Um, so hero could help in that regard. Um, also just basic depth, right? You just, you just, sometimes you just need one more guy you can plug in who can do yep. something. And Tyler Hero can do hit shots. He can hit like, shots, like in, and he can and he can create. And he, like he's he's a dynamic offensive player. And and if he's a minus defensively, well, they've been patching up for him in that regard for a, a long time. They know how to do that. And it's a lot mm -hmm. to put on a guy who's missed you know a month and a half, two months, whatever it's been. But sometimes just having one more useful player. What a like wrong place to, to 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 pose this. But what if the Warriors had had one more useful player? <laughs> against yeah. against Shoot, the Lakers, Lakers. Um, the, the Lakers by the end of that series had four guys that I trusted. They had yeah. to play Dennis Schroeder, yeah, and it took away from some of the offensive juice that they had because they had four guys. Like not even I, but Darvin Ham was just like Bonnie, Dennis. What anybody? Suns had had one more useful. I mean, yeah. the Suns probably needed three more useful players. But there's, you know, there's there's one player can make it can make that big of a difference if it's the if it's the right player especially in a playoff series where you're you're already overtaxing your starters and you're playing guys 40 plus minutes like sometimes you just need one game changer one x factor to get in there and i don't know where else the heat would go so i'm not expecting tyler here is going to change the trajectory of the series even if he does play in game two but i do think i'm not prepared to write off miami that quickly i'm, I'm not saying they're going to win the series but i think it's at least five mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i at the end of the day, like betting on Eric Spolstra and Miami to outperform expectations is a pretty solid bet, you know? Um, yeah. And generally, like betting on me being wrong about basketball is a pretty solid bet, too. So, <laughs> you know, you, you have that going for you. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm so interested in this, in this finals. And actually, it's a perfect kind of launching pad into what I wanted to talk about today, which was... You know, I wrote about, well, all right, so it started back when I had Jake uh, Fisher on the show, and he mentioned that the Lakers have, as it's been communicated to him, quote, marching orders to avoid that second apron. And um, it, it, that, that second luxury tax apron, which will likely sit at around $190 million. Um, that got my wheels spinning, and I wrote about it for Substack, and I wrote about how you know, normally 
the notion of the Lakers setting a limit for themselves, setting a spending limit for themselves as their competition is willing to set higher ones is inherently something that like would piss me off, right? The notion of, of, you know, a billionaire franchise, a multi-billion dollar franchise being concerned about luxury taxes when they have a money printing machine in their back closet somewhere, um, that would annoy me. And it did annoy me with, with Alex Caruso, but it's hard for me to go that far down that path because we have like actual utilitarian ramifications for, for, um, for going above that apron, right? You aren't going to be, be able to sign buyout players. You don't have your taxpayer uh, mid-level exception. You can't trade picks further the, seven years or further down the line. Yeah. Um, if you tr- make a trade, you have to take back less money that you, than you send out. And there's all these, you know, all these, again, pa- practical ramifications to, uh, to going above that apron. And, you know, the reason that I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it and frankly nervous about it is because it seems to be ignoring the, the history of the NBA. What got us to this point, the biggest moments in NBA history, which were a couple of Goliaths meeting in the NBA finals, right? And it's cool that we have, and Denver is a legitimate Goliath. I think we're going to look back on them and say that was a buzzsaw waiting to happen. They just kept on running into injury stuff, and then Jokic became an all-timer. Um, but, you you know, Miami is the definition of a David. The Lakers were a seven seed against them. You had, you know, the, the Warriors, uh, you know, advanced as a six seed, right? Um and, 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 you know, so on and so forth. And, and, you know, it's been a much more wide open playoffs to the extent that I think you said on here, you've never seen anything quite like this heading into the playoffs where so many of the favorites going into those series were actually lower seeds. And, and, um, and that, that would amount to parody, this notion of parody and, and wide openness across the league. And, the new CBA would seem to lend itself to more of that. And I'm kind of curious if you think that's a good thing to double and triple down on the way that they are. So listen, there are these kind of competing ideals or or notions about what's quote unquote good for the NBA. One of which is, Hey, this is a league that's always had dynasties. We love the dynasties. It's a league of dynasties. The entire history of this, of, of this league is whether it's, you know, the Lakers in various eras, the Celtics in various eras, and of course, those are the two obvious ones, but then the Bulls of the 90s and the Warriors of the, the last 10 Absolutely. years, um, the, you know, the Lakers, the Shaq and Kobe Laker dynasty that I covered, right? <laughs> the, 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 the LeBronisty, as I've called it, um, yeah. you know, eight straight years of just a, a LeBron team in, in the finals. Um, and in each time, he was on a, on a, on a veg, you know, effectively a super team, right? Um Bosch and Wade to Kyrie and Kevin Love. And so, yes, those teams are compelling. Yes, we love either rooting for or against the Goliath. And yes, we love a clash of titans to mix all of our mythological metaphors and genres. Yeah. Um, Yes, those things are true. Where the league, I think, has been concerned, and look, I've covered multiple CBAs now and two lockouts, one in 1998 and one in 2011, where the league has been concerned in various regard, uh, various ways over the, the course of my 26 seasons covering the, the NBA is that sometimes it feels like it's getting a little bit out of whack where, and, and then this exacerbated in this 
uh, era of, of whatever we call it, player empowerment or player mobility, everybody moving around, right? Stars picking their own destiny, right? Nobody's yeah, staying put anymore. Right. But they're going to the same places. Usually they're joining up with each other or they're going to a lot of the same cities, the, either the warmer markets, the glamour markets, the bigger markets, whatever. And so what that's created at large is a league where if you're Memphis and you have drafted really well, or if you're the Pacers or the Hornets, not that the Hornets ever have done anything well in a very long time, but <laughs> if you are, yeah. if you're the Pelicans, if you're the Pacers, if you're the Timberwolves, if you are any of these teams, which is the majority of the league, who do not qualify as a big market or B glamour market or C warm market or some combination thereof. If you are any of the other 15 to 20 teams, you're sitting there going, well, maybe I'm going to get lucky in the, in the lottery and I'm going to get a, a, a franchise star, but maybe I'll actually get lucky in the lottery the year. There's actually a true franchise star available and, and not a fake one. Like, you know, uh, you know, name, name your pick. Any there. number, Anthony any, Edwards. Yeah. Um, so if, if you are fortunate enough to get that guy, now it's like, okay, but how do I get the second guy? Well, I can't get him through free agency because we are not a destination market. We, this cold weather, small market in the middle of nowhere. Um, so now we got to get lucky multiple times, or we've got to ace the draft every single year. And then eventually they're going to all come due for contracts, and we don't have the local TV rights deal that's going to generate enough income for us to afford this and we're going to be deficit spending. There's a whole other discussion about whether or not billionaire owners should deficit spend because you know that they're also still going to be billionaires and they're going to flip their franchise for a lot more later, but whatever. Most teams want to operate like a normal business where your revenue and your expenses are at least close to even and you're not deficit spending year to year. So there's all these pressures. There's all these pressures and there's all these things that are going against a lot of the markets. So what the NBA has tried to do over the last, and especially starting with the 2011 CBA and that lockout was create, as Adam Silver said, ad nauseum in 2011, every single uh, press conference we had with him, he, we would like a league where 30 teams, if well-managed, have a chance to compete for championships. That was a, a, some version of, of his speech. Well, we were there. We're kind of there, right? We have now, we're going to have five champions in five years. We have a five-year run here where uh, I don't, I, I've lost count, but however different, however many different teams have been to the finals. Mm. So we have the turnover. We have teams, we have a system where it's getting harder and harder for teams to just pile on stars or if they have the stars to keep them all because it gets very, very expensive. The problem as the league saw it, I'm not saying I agree with this definition. The problem as the league saw it was that even with, luxury taxes, repeater taxes, everything else that they'd put in the 2011 CBA and the subsequent CBAs prior to this new one coming online was that some teams, the Warriors and the Clippers in particular, just said, eh, screw it. Fine. We'll spend 400 million on payroll and luxury taxes combined. We're making a boatload in the Warriors case off their arena or in Bal Steve Ballmer's case with the Clippers. I don't care. I'm the richest owner <laughs> yeah. In the league, I, I'll, I'll just spend whatever it takes. I just want to win. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Um, 
And what that does is it, it makes it that much harder for the Milwaukee Bucks to keep up or for anybody else who may emerge, who might break through the Denver Nuggets will be next up on this same discussion because they're in a smaller market. And so you can agree, disagree or whatever, but I, I understand the premise. The premise is, by the way, this goes all the way back to the very beginnings of the salary cap in the early eighties or early to mid eighties when certain teams, I think the Sixers were a big offender at that time, um, were just wildly outspending everybody. And the, the mm -hmm. NBA at that time was like, man, we are going to, we are going to have teams that go under because they're going to spend beyond their means trying to keep up, or they're just not going to be able to keep talent. This is going to get out of whack really quickly. They created the salary cap. That's where the salary cap came from. And every subsequent CBA from the, from the early eighties on has been about trying to manipulate manu, you know, you massage the system to make it as hard as possible for the richest teams, whether they're in big markets or not, whether it's just that they're owned by the richest owners to just simply outspend everyone else and flout all of the, the, the system's rules, the league wants and again, in 2011, this was a really big inflection point and a really big point of emphasis for them. They even coined a phrase that was like the most like uh, like, uh, you know, Orwellian weird phrase player sharing. They called it back then. David Stern and Adam mm -hmm. Silver talked about player sharing and by player sharing. What they meant was if we make it impossible for you to keep all of your stars, that player will then get shared to another franchise that doesn't have a star yet. By the way, that's how James Harden ended up becoming a Houston Rocket, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, the I think the literally smallest market in the NBA mm -hmm. had Westbrook, Durant, Ibaka, and Harden, and they couldn't afford to pay them all without being the first team to really, you know, have its payroll explode based on the luxury tax penalties. And so they player shared James Harden. They traded him to mm -hmm. Houston, and 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 listen to the extent that the the league wanted more teams on equal footing and wanted not one team with four stars and one team with zero. Well, it worked. James Harden goes to Houston. Dwight Howard eventually joins him there. Um, not to uh, trigger any PTSD for Laker fans. Um, and, 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 and they, they start, you know, th that was step one toward building what eventually became a really strong Rockets team. They didn't make the finals, but they made the conference finals. The whole, if not for Chris Paul's injury, maybe they make it, blah, blah, blah. So that's what the league has been trying to do. And on some level it's worked. And so now it's, well, the Warriors are the modern dynasty, but, you know, look, I, I, I just wrote about all the things I loved about the Warriors dynasty. Uh, it's a piece on GQ Sports that you can go check out at GQ.com right now. But I so I, I have mixed feelings about this because I would like to see the, the Warriors because there's a lot of things I like about them, even as somebody who has no rooting interest. Um, I think they have been good for the league. I think the LeBronisty was on some level good for the league. There was also fatigue though. Like there was literally legitimately a fatigue by the time the Warriors and, and LeBron had faced off four years in a row and the Warriors then went five years in a row, there was a fatigue. And so I think on some level, and I will wrap up after the very long winded response here, but two things, one, the variety over the last five years, I think on balance is good for the league on some level, even if we might miss the, dyna the, the dynasties that were competing. And two, I think there's nothing worse and then your audience will not give, give a one small crap about this yeah. statement. There is something to be said for not for, for all the other markets having belief. Laker fans have never had to worry about belief. You might've had some bad stages, some bad eras, 
but you never had to worry about whether or not you could get back in this thing and whether or not if you got stars through whatever means that they would want to stay most of the time. But if you're Milwaukee or Indiana or Charlotte or New Orleans or Memphis or Minnesota, you are in this constant state of panic that even if we're lucky enough to get the guy, he might not want to stay and we're not going to be able to get him a second guy. That's why LeBron ends up going from Cleveland to Miami in the first place, because nobody was going to come to join him in Cleveland. And the only way he was going to find his Scottie Pippen was to go join up with Dwayne Wade in Miami. And so this system, this all these subsequent changes starting in 2011, I think has at least provided a, a, some measure of comfort to and, and, and a reason to believe if you're in these small markets that you can compete without just being vastly outspent and also just losing your guys to more glamorous markets all the time. All right. So a lot to react to there. Um, first things first, Anthony Edwards was not the name that came to mind. Um, Anthony Bennett Anthony was, Bennett was who fake, you were thinking the, of. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. Anthony Edwards is actually, I think he, <laughs> a very he does have a chance of being a legitimate superstar. Yeah. So but we've had plenty so of number Minnesota ones fans. I swear. Yeah. We've had plenty <laughs> of number sorry. ones, twos and threes that were duds. And that's kind of the point. Right. So, yeah. Um, all right. So the next thing I, I understand the sentiment that the league wants out there, right. That, that like, this is for like, but like the, the, the notion of a salary cap, the reason behind salary caps in sports is so that owners, um, can limit their spending and, and, and mask it with the notion of parity and, you know, yeah. Uh, in, in, in the NFL, Jerry Jones, um, you know, before it would have been like Dan Snyder, like those kinds of owners would spend whatever it takes to put it to field the best team that they possibly can. And to me, I just think, um, I think that's, that's probably a good thing, you know, and, and every time that the league has tried to, now they haven't done this, they haven't done this where, um, you know, they've made it financially punitive, but now it is practically punitive. This is this is a, a new yes. frontier yes. in what they're doing here. So yes. to a certain extent, this is uncharted territory that we're that we're heading into here. But every time that the NBA has tried to legislate parity um, or legislate stars staying with their teams, the Supermax comes to mind. Um, it is backfired. And those the it, it it you know the the teams that the bigger markets the teams that are willing to spend they they wind up remaining that much more competitive because at the end of the day in uh in in a league where uh you know the amount of money that you spend is generally directly correlated with the amount of success that you have that's just kind of how it's going to go and the the the, the the inherent problem to trying to legislate parity in any league is that you are still going to have owners whose top priority isn't winning a championship. I'm sorry. You can't tell me that like having watched this many years of Michael Jordan running the Charlotte Hornets, that his top priority is winning championships. You can't tell me that, um, you know, you could, you could clay Bennett, right. Um, if if your top priority is winning a championship, you do whatever it has, whatever it takes to keep James Harden and Serge Ibaka and KD and Russ together. Um, I just think, I just think if we're, if we're going to look at it, like trying to force this kind of, of parody and, and like, in my opinion, I've always thought of mediocrity as another term for parody. If we're going to force mediocrity on, on the league, then, 
we also have to address that there are a collection of owners whose top priority isn't actually competing at the highest level. If we do that, you know, and, and, and we essentially say, all right, well, those, those owners over there, the, who, who owns the Atlanta Hawks? Cause they're, they fall into the Tony same Ressler. category too. Yeah. Um, Tony Wrestler is the lead owner. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, there's, there's a bunch of Eastern conference teams who's like, who've been striving for 500 for the entirety of my time paying attention to, to yeah. basketball. And if we're going to say that, like, all right, we're going to force the warriors and the bucks. And in this case, like you mentioned, the nuggets and the Lakers and, and these teams that could be the best teams that are, 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 you know, could be the faces of your, of your league to make themselves worse for the sake of those other teams maybe being slightly better or in, in all likelihood, slightly more profitable. Um, that's where, I, that's where they kind of lose me. And that's what makes me nervous about, well, about this ne these next steps is, is making these teams, making it literally harder for those teams to remain as good as they are um, for the sake of a group of owners who I don't know, we can actually definitively say are interested in, in winning championships. Um. At any given time, out of the 30 teams, I would say there's probably a handful of owners who are in it for reasons other than wanting to win championships, right? Who might be in it for the prestige of owning a team, who might be in it for just the long-term investment. Um, who knows? Whatever, right? Um, and, you know, the, you know, like Donald Sterling clearly never gave a crap about anything other than making money. And, and to yeah. an extent, he liked the badge of honor of being an NBA owner, but he was the cheapest dude in the league easily, you know, among yeah. all the other things that were wrong with him, he was just a really bad owner in the sense that he really did not care about the product on the floor at all and didn't invest. Um, and, and I don't think there's anybody at that extreme now among the 30 NBA teams, but there's a spectrum. You're always going to have that though. And I would just say, Anthony, like your team benefits from that. Because as long as there are teams that either are incompetent or don't give a crap, it has given teams like the Lakers that much more of an advantage to build on the mm -hmm. advantage they already have of location and reputation and everything else to then be able to poach players and everything else. So like, like there's, there's like a bell curve with this, right? You know, a few teams on one extreme, few teams at the other and a, and a, and a big fat middle in on, on everything on spending on their motivation to actually want to win on you know, market size on all these different things, right? There's some equilibrium in the system there. What's happened in the last few years, and by like, I, I would just say, like, in the league's sort of def defense, the mission accomplished. Like, like we just had the tightest, most tightly packed standings I've ever seen. Mediocrity, competitive balance, whatever the hell it is, it was compelling on some level because all these teams were jockeying for position within the standings down down the stretch. Um, most aside from the Dallas Mavericks, who just decided they'd rather protect their draft pick, uh, understandably. <laughs> um, a bunch of teams are competing for the play-in. Um, we did have a six, seven, and eight advance in uh, six seed, seventh seed, eighth seed advance for the first time in, in NBA history. Like they love this on some level at the league level, and and I think that they would say on balance it's been it's good because it it, it has restored belief to a lot of these other teams. But I would also just say this to the extent that um, you're worried about you know. Uh, or that this feels like it's, it's, it's punitive toward the teams that have just done it best, right? It's punitive toward the Warriors. It's punitive toward some version of the Lakers, perhaps. Um, yes, 
I, I think it's it's kind of undeniable that if you're going to take tools away from the Warriors to keep supplementing what's you know the the remaining years of Steph Clay Draymond, when when they're going to you know under the new rules you wouldn't have even been able to sign a Dante Divincenzo right and they just you know like that yeah. brutal, but again. If the alternative is, well, okay, then you've got to trade Andrew Wiggins or trade Kevon Looney or something, the league would say, you know, player sharing or something, right? Like they would go back to that. Like, <laughs> yeah. And by them losing that talent, some other team would be that much better instead of we of having teams that are dead in the water. By the way, this is also as a quick tangent why I'm against expansion. So, because um, <laughs> there's not enough talent well, to go around. Um, but can, just last can I thing. Just really quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, go ahead. The, well, the last I thing just, is just I, this. If you're the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks who who have done well, who have drafted well, developed well, made smart trades, everything else, but the rules that were created to punish the big spenders weren't affecting the Warriors because the Warriors said, I, we don't, we don't yeah. care. We're just going to keep, keep, keep spending. But if the Bucks did the exact same things as the Warriors in terms of drafting well, developing well, trading well, all these smart things and won a championship, but the Warriors could keep it together – because they could spend in to, to infinity, but the Bucks mm -hmm. can't do that. So they have to be like the Oklahoma City Thunder, where they player share to James Harden to Houston. Then that's unfair to the Bucks. So what the new system is attempting to do is say, if 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 spending limits and spending penalties aren't enough, we need to start taking tools away to try to narrow the band of total payroll expense we can't have some teams spending right around the cap at 100 and whatever we're at 120 million or 150 million if they're somewhere between the cap and the tax or whatever and then some teams spending 400 million that's way too wide of a band and that has that has grown over the years what the nba wants is not everybody to have the exact same number of chips although by the way jerry buss himself once said that was his philosophy we all have the same number of chips but they do the league does want that band to be narrower to have this not have this massive chasm in order to protect a team like the Milwaukee Bucks that's done it well in a smaller market. Jerry Buss wanted the same number of chips because he had the inherited advantage of, of a really nice seat at the table. Right? Like, well, like his, his chips, his, his chips like, were going to be... His under the table was like right yeah. underneath the air conditioning and it was like right by the bar, right? His, his, he had like his, every advantage and he also had... He his wanted chips the were in a beach cabana with, yeah. with like Mai Tais and stuff. And like somebody else's chips were like in a freaking igloo. Yeah, right. But, like but it was, it was like. It, it, but the <laughs> point he was making back in the day, and I, I was sitting there when he said it once, um, in one of our preseason uh, training camp meetings with him uh, at their hotel in Honolulu, and he said, because he's a poker player, and he <laughs> liked so perfect. It's it's so it perfect. It was like it was so perfect. It was like the thirtieth floor of some shishi hotel in Honolulu. Um, <laughs> We got our one meeting of the year with with Jerry Buss, and he said, and this quote is back there. I think I've 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 found it at times. I might have even tweeted it out at, at some point, but that he basically said, "Listen, I'm a poker player. My idea my idea of, of 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 competition is we get the same number of chips, and now we'll see who's better at this. Right? Mm -hmm. I've got the same number as you do. Let's let's all right, now it's on. And um, and I liked that. Like I I, I loved the the kind of the the, the swashbuckler mentality there." of I'm, I'm just going to kick your ass even if we have the same number of chips. We are way beyond that. Um, and I do think, by the way, the salary cap is not just a, a cost-saving measure. Like the league, the, sal the real salary cap 
is the 50-50 split of basketball-related income, which is like $10 billion and, and continuing to explode. And the players get half of it. And then the rest of it is just a distribution method. So um, the players get 50% of all league revenue <laughs> to the tune of $5 billion and growing. And it's mm -hmm. and the salary cap is, is almost irrelevant. The, no one's saving anything. Individual teams can save. But on, on in the aggregate, the players are making half of league revenue. And I do think that if you had no salary cap, um, you would have a bunch of cities without NBA teams because they couldn't afford to, to, to keep, to compete. The, the other thing that I'm concerned about here with the CBA, and again, I, I just can't stop laughing. So like Jerry Buss is a poker player. I don't know. Do you play poker at all? Like, do you, did you I mean, play I, or anything? I, I, I actually played more as a kid with like chips yeah. that had no money attached when I was just a kid. Oh. And, and like my dad had taught me poker and like friends and I would be playing like during sleepovers when I was 10 or something, but no, I've not yeah. played poker at any, at any level. In like competitive at all. Yeah. Well, so like, like the notion of po poker is that like, and the reason that it's so appealing to especially mathematicians, like, you know, Jerry was, um, is that you can essentially make your own luck. And so when he says that, like, I want everybody to have the same amount of chips. He knows in the back of his mind, he's made his own luck by buying the Lakers. Like, by, right. He was smart enough not, his... not to buy the, the, the Charlotte yeah. expansion team back yeah. in the day or something. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but anyway, so um, the other thing that, that like, I, and this was something um, after I wrote, and I wrote like 1500 words, so I couldn't have gone any further in, in the, in the piece that I wrote. But what I'm concerned about is, and, and I think this is almost unavoidable, but um, there, I think, are still going to be teams who say, you know what, uh, X role player who just did whatever for us, uh, we don't want to pay you what you what your your commensurate value because you're not a superstar, and we have the chance at bringing in a superstar, and we'd rather we'd still rather have three stars and a bunch of minimum players and 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 try our luck there and what i'm a little nervous about is that like the notion of a a a uh middle what's what's the medium income or whatever it is um mid-level exception well, no 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 the oh. like um you know what uh, why am i completely blanking on this um you have the you have the max players you have veteran minimums and then the, the people in the middle the the, the middle earners yeah. is going to vanish essentially because of you know teams in the NBA have have learned for a long time now that stars actually uh, you know typically when you go out and win you the stuff and now recently we have learned that it's not enough to just have stars the the way that they fit really matters and trust me nobody knows that better than Lakers fans who just watched LeBron AD and Russell Westbrook not fit together at all. But for the most part, when those when that fit isn't so egregious, those three stars tend to put you in a position where you're still gonna be pretty good almost no matter what. And I guess what I'm what I'm a little nervous of is you're gonna have your your Supermax players. Um, Jalen Brown comes to mind right now where he's eligible for the biggest contract in, in NBA history right now. Um, and he might get it. And yet, like, is he 25 times better than I, Rui? Like, is he, is he, is he so much better that, that he's going to get that kind of contract and the, the Ruiz of the world, the, the Kuzmas of the world, the Jeff Greens of the world, like those, those kinds of players who over the course of their career have been solid 
are just going to become their 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 incomes are going to continue to drop and at best they might get like a, a mid-level exemption whereas the stars keep getting their their contracts watching their contracts go up and and i just i don't know that that is necessarily healthy for for a league that is going to be as interested in parity as as it might as it seems to be because at that level what i think is probably going to happen is you'll have the markets that can attract the superstars and then those 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 you know mid middle area i at some point i'm going to think of the term like middle class but, uh, thank you gosh i i'm sitting <laughs> mid something i have like they're just in, call them mid we'll just <laughs> they'll love that the most mad players in the nba um but but like the the thank you the middle class in the nba what they're just going to decide is all right well i'm not going to get that much more by going to a different market i may as well just go and win in a bigger market with the superstars and now all all over again those smaller markets are going to be that much more screwed because of the inherent uh uh <laughs> advantage that we just talked about with Jerry Buss, right? That like, yeah, we, I, I just, I, what I, what I guess I'm trying to say is there is zero way to ensure that everybody has the same amount of chips here. And at some point, those advantages are still going to pop up no matter how hard the league tries to legislate against it. And I just, I don't know that continuing to try is, is necessarily the path I would take here. So, I mean, I, on the, on the, disappearing middle class concern the fascinating part of that is that the 1998 lockout and resulting cba was in large part and the reason for the max salary so the max salary is created in 1998 up until that point you could pay guys whatever you wanted within the the, the rules of the cap right um mm -hmm. if you had their bird rights there was literally no end michael jordan's last salary as a chicago bull was like 33 and a half million, which stood yeah. as the highest single year salary for a player in NBA history for like 20 something years <laughs> until LeBron finally yeah. passed it because the, yeah. the, because that, that was 1997, 98. And then they had a lockout. The lockout among the results was the max salary for the first time. Max salary at that time, by the way, was like, you know, it's always based on percentages of the salary cap, 25, 30, 35% yeah. of the salary cap. At that time, it was something like in the ballpark of like 10, 12 and 15 million something like that those were the max salaries had all kinds of ramifications by the way all kinds of ripple effects um including that it really handicapped the lakers during the Shaq and kobe era because Shaq had this like 25 million and growing salary that and so did kevin garnett that were grandfathered in and so now guys could only make you know 10 million less than those guys and so when the <laughs> lakers start getting toward the end of that Shaq and kobe era among the things that were that was uh, creating problems for them was that they just couldn't afford to keep adding guys because Shaq had this outsized salary relative to all of the other max players. His mm -hmm. max was way higher. Um, the reason I bring that up though, after that long divergence is that at that time, you had to bring up stuff that like traumatizes me. I, so sorry. far it's Dwight Howard. Now it's I, the end of Shaq and Kobe. By the way, I do this on every team-oriented podcast I go on. I end up saying something, and I have, I, have, I, do, I don't even realize I've said it. And then the host is like, oh, really? Really? You had to bring up, you know, yeah. uh, the fact that we're still paying Josh Smith, who we waived 15 yeah. years ago. Um, 
it's always something i'm like just so you know my cat died like fit you know 10 years ago her name was oreo so if you want to bring her up too and and, and further (laughs) traumatize me let me know (laughs) oh my god um i'm I'm not bringing up any cookies ever on this podcast (laughs) i I, I might bring up chips ahoy and be like oh really really my pet parakeet chips ahoy um so you should have heard the way that she she used to say our cookies you know yeah it was great (laughs) yeah there you go Uh, i have a cat napping on my desk uh right next to my microphone as we. i thought i saw a flutter on the on 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 the right side of your screen yeah that was that was her tail um so (laughs) the 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 union agreed in 1998 to max salaries which you would think, oh my God, that's that's anathema to a union. Why would they ever agree to cap their players' earnings? Because at that time, the, dis- the, the middle class had disappeared. Everybody mm-hmm. was either making, not quite Michael Jordan money, but the stars were making you know, a massive amount and everybody else was making close to the minimum or you know, whatever it was at the time. But there was no middle class that was shrinking. And so the max salary, in addition to, that's also when they created the... the um, the biannual exception, that's when they created the uh, mid-level exception. They did those things because they were trying to restore the middle class and also as kind of a payoff back to the union for agreeing to the max salary. Well, we'll cap the, the, the highest level players, but we'll make sure that we're restoring the middle class, one, by the money trickling downward, and two, by creating these new exceptions. And that at the time when the, the mid-level exception was created, it was like two and a half, three million or something. It's now 10, 12. Yeah. Um, so everyone's doing just fine. But I I I you you make a, a fair point in that if you have multiple players who are gonna get super maxes, especially, it's gonna create immense pressure on that team, and it's gonna be hard for them to even want to spend or be able to spend on on mid-tier players so i would just say this as a reassurance of sorts if you're right if if the because there's always unintended consequences of the cba if the new cba's unintended consequences include a shrinking of the middle class i guarantee you the players association at their first opportunity is going to reopen and say you know what it got out of whack again we got to find a way to, to restore the middle class and who knows? I'm, I'm not predicting this and I, I'm not trying to uh, say that this is something that they should do. But maybe, you know, look, the, the unintended consequence of the Supermax is that it ended up having small market teams lose the players that that was designed to help them keep. So you could actually say it, it, on the player side of it, the unintended consequence is that maybe it's shrinking the middle class. If that's the case, then both sides would have reason to do away with the Supermax. <laughs> At some yeah. point down the line, I was surprised they didn't. We didn't. We didn't hear more about that in the negotiations. Once you've given, you know, from either side, but especially from the league standpoint, once you've granted the players, especially the star players, the most powerful players, more earning power, trying to ratchet it back is very difficult. Yeah, especially when those stars are making up your union, right? You have CJ McCollum; he's a very well-paid player, and. Not you a know, super Chris max Paul. guy, though. Yeah, but yeah, Chris Paul and and like the, the guy who the guy who created the the super max was Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or well, was there at the and he also changed the over thirty six rule for himself, uh, and, and then denied <laughs> that was the case. Um, yeah, but I, I I would just say like the union leadership, it 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 you know it changes frequently, not frequently, but it it changes over time, and there have been times when union leadership has been more star heavy, and times when it's been more 
um, rank and file heavy. Most of the time it's rank and file heavy because those are the guys who are actually willing to spend their time. Um, mm -hmm. The stars are like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't need to do this. Um, but um, you know, CJ's a, a, you know, CJ's never even been an all-star. Um, you know, Grant Williams is on the board. Um, I think is Garrett Temple still on the board? Like it, it is a lot of rank and file guys, but um, I, I would just say that like, I'll, I'll stand by this. If, if the middle class shrinks dramatically in the years to come and listen, the middle class shrinking now is different than when it back in the day, back in the day, that meant, you know, it's, it, you're, you're only going to make the minimum, which was like a million a year for a 10 year veteran and like yeah. some, some, some hundreds of thousands. When it was guys six figures for a while. Yeah. yeah. And now the minimum, I haven't even looked it up recently. The minimum is like millions. So no one is hurting in this, in this case, except just relative to the overall system. Yeah. I, I, I that on that, we completely agree that the league is in a place now where even like the, 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 the lowest paid guys are still doing well enough that they aren't like looking at, at their like, bank account every other week and saying like, all right, we got to make some cuts here and there to, to, to get through to this next paycheck. Um, and, and, and on that front, like, you know, look, the league continues to grow even as they go in this other direction. So to a certain extent, even while I'm concerned, it ignores history, recent, uh, recent success in the growth of the league, even despite some of the pandemic stuff would indicate that, you know, in terms of overall leadership, they're doing just fine. So yeah. it's a fascinating topic. And it's one that I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about here over the years as we find out, like, this is essentially what I wrote for Substack. And, and this is me saying it. I'm, I'm usually one of the more reactionary people covering this team. But even I'm saying, look, we don't know quite yet what setting this limit and avoiding that apron is actually going to mean. And yeah what it's going to do to those teams that are willing to sit in that cap apron and forego some of those practical advantages that they, that they wind up losing. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's a fascinating one. And, and one, you know, this move, this new CBA, um, because it is doing something unique in terms of not just being punitive in terms of financial ramifications, but, but practical ramifications, I, I'm curious if it works out. I wonder if we might start seeing that across other leagues that they start saying, you know, in, in, in football and in baseball and in hockey, if they start saying, all right, we have, you know, in, in baseball, you have the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets. Um, how can we, how can we make it that much harder on them so that, you know, Shohei Atani and Mike Trout aren't just stuck in the purgatory. That is uh, the Anaheim angels yeah. it, where no matter what they do, they just seem to be stuck for mediocrity. But Howard, thank you very much for hopping on. I really appreciate it. Again, you can check out his work at GQ. Most recently, just in the last week, he wrote about the art of the nap, which is uh, it, you know, something I, I just cannot stop reading about. Um, he wrote about Bob, about Bob Myers, like you alluded to, and how with him losing, you 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 hope that the Warriors maintain that Warriors way. And then uh, coming up, you were saying as soon as today, by the time whenever this drops, you might have a piece dropping about Mike Breen. Just and a Q&A &A with Mike, yeah. Yeah. I saw a story recently about how his wife saved a Kobe jersey from his burning house and, and how much that stuff meant to him and how the, the league-wide response to his house burning down really kind of took him back. So I'm looking forward to... 
um, that coming. Mike Breen, I'll never forget his call of the first Knicks game after Kobe died. Just absolutely broke me. I just yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I couldn't I He's, couldn't like watch basketball for a little while. Mike is a phenomenal human being and an incredible class act and, 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 and as humble as they come. Uh, the story you're referring to, alluding to, is a really great piece in in the Athletic, which I, I absolutely, of course, encourage people to go read. Um, Mike and I chatted last weekend while he was on his brief respite between series because of the the sweep in the West. Um, mm-hmm. There I go. I just did it again. I just did it again. Thank you. Yeah. Apologies, Laker fans. Um, yeah. But it gave Oreo him. Oreo was a big Rui Hachimura fan. I'm telling uh, you, <laughs> there, it, it, it's, it's rare that that you get that kind of break. So I talked to Mike during his Memorial Day weekend when he was actually getting to relax. And so actually, I was doing a Q and A that was on a much much more lighthearted stuff. So, yeah. um, but but I, people should go check out the athletic piece about his house burning down and, and all 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 that that came with that, and, and including all the the wonderful you know, uh, support he got from the NBA uh, community. Um, but yes, my Q&A with Mike on more lighthearted topics uh, will be on GQ Sports uh, sometime soon. Great. Uh, thank you very much for hopping on. I know that you're super busy. And uh, yeah, I, I, next time we talk, like, can you just traumatize the Celtics? Like, can, can we, can we, can I do we, that on the Celtics podcast. I guarantee you, right, by yeah, the way. Just pretend you're on a Celtics podcast. Like, and anybody who's like cringing going like, <laughs> dude, come on. Why'd you just bring up the sweep? Like, I swear to God, I do this yeah. on the Pistons podcast, Rockets podcast, Grizzly. Like, it, it, it's, it's completely unintentional. I swear. I'm just, I'm not mean spirited. I'm a nice guy. I, I just, sometimes. Yeah you're just going stream of consciousness and you hit these things because they're just reference points and then you realize oh right this is not the audience for that example <laughs> <laughs> so i just i should have like a checklist on my uh computer or something that i can look at like all right well, who am i on with today what am i talking about oh yeah right let's uh bad subjects uh cross those out and have just such some no-go zones no, I, I think you should go the other way. And next time you hop on this specific show, have like Tim Thomas in your background and, and then like just really, really hurt Lakers fans. Um, th- thank you again, Howard. I always, always appreciate and enjoy our conversations. Always a pleasure, Anthony. Thanks, man.